Hello, it is me, Marky Carl, joined today by Marcus Teague and Kevin Mitchell, a.k.a. Bob Evans. On this week's hit, Different Lords return, whether that's any good, this new song, Solar Power, talking about T-Pain, authenticity, auto-tune and depression. And then we're going to swing into Bob Evans talking about his new record, Tomorrowland, as well as his whole career and how he's managed to sort of be this acoustic dude, as well as this 90s grunge dude, as well as this dude who's still relevant today. So we're doing all that. Let's get it. On the show today, everything I just mentioned, uh, Marcus Teague, hello, how are you? Hi, Mikey, I'm good, how are you? Great. You're the straight man to my straighter man. Um, <laughs> speaking of straight white men, three of us today, Bob Evans, hello. <laughs> hello, Mikey, hello, Marcus, thanks a lot for having me. Pleasure. It's nice, nice to be doing a podcast with the doyen of the Bobcast. Where are you located today, Kevin? Um, I'm uh, in my garage uh, in uh, grey, drizzly ocean grove oh, on the Bellarine Peninsula. So, um, not not usually this grey and grizzly as I look out my window, but um, but yeah. So just out of Melbourne Metro, which has proven to be quite handy during these COVID times because uh, there's been a couple of times where we've just managed to kind of sneak outside of the uh, metropolitan regulations that they put in place. Yes, avoid the, the ring of fire and instead just be out there strumming a ring of steel or vice versa. That's right. <laughs> Very cool. I, well, I go to Ocean Grove nearly every year with my family. That's where we've been going for like 25, 30 years for holidays. So shout out to Winding Car Park if you're listening. <laughs> Windy Massive. I think my mum once found a scorpion. Um, yeah, yeah, scorpion when we were there, like super, like, like mid 80s kind of vibe. And we not didn't un- see it. Not uncommon. Really? Have you ever yeah, been per- stung by a scorpion? I have not, no. I've never seen one around here, but um, I've certainly, yeah, it's not uncommon, apparently. I feel like you're such a nice dude, um, and I'm not being sycophantic, but you're such a, just a genuine, warm human, that a scorpion would see you and give you a tickle instead of a sting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll like canoodle with you and sort well, of, like, can you play jokes like, of attention? Well, I'd, I'd like to think that would, might be the case. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. Today, my friends, we have Bob Evans, as I said, Marcus Teague, our regular co-host. Uh, subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to Hit Different. Tell all your friends about Hit Different Police. I'm trying to get off. I'm trying to sell it without being desperate. Send a tip or a story suggestion to podcast at mushroomgroup.com or check out the episode description for more ways to get in contact ASMR. Let's get into it. Segment one, Lord is back. She has returned with a new song called Solar Power. I try to convince myself that I like this song. That is never a good sign. However, I will say this. She's come back with an acoustic kind of vibey song. It has a line about being a prettier version of Jesus, which really resonated with me. I thought that was a very cool line, very, very knowing, very meta. And when the actual song kicks in, it has a big kind of primal scream feel and I want to listen to this song in only one context, and that's in a huge field with a bunch of other people who are vibing so fucking hard on this song. And that's when I'll get it. That's when I'll really, really enjoy it. She's announced a national tour as well. So we're going to be talking about, um, you know, whether this is any good, whether she's come back as strongly as she came back with Green Light, and also the pressures on on artists having to produce, having to come up, having to be better than they were last time, and having to say, fuck all that noise, and the, the din of fans wanting more and asking and just pestering you on social media. Um, 
before we sort of asked Bob about this and <laughs> Bob slash Kevin, Marcus slash Teague, before she came back with uh, Green Light, uh, a fan tweeted at Lord, I guess I just give up on Lord ever releasing new music then. And this would have been, you know, this cacophony of noise around it. And she would have heard this many, many times. And Lord chose to respond to that to her millions of Twitter followers saying, you just need to be patient. It's nearly ready. I think this is an incredible thing that artists have to go through now and that used to be able to send David Bowie a fan mail, some fan mail, and he would respond, you know, within three weeks from a David Bowie letterhead saying, you know, Ziggy Stardust will return soon, all this kind of stuff. Bob, tell me about you and in, in your career. Having to, how have you managed to sort of just keep going and know when the right time is to release music and, and kind of ignoring or entertaining fans when they want more? Yeah, well, it's all internal, I find, the, the pressure and the knowing. I mean, like, knowing when to put new music out is just, you know, just a matter of me feeling really excited and confident about that I have enough songs to, uh, you know, fill up a record that are all that I all really good and that I really believe in and stuff. The pressure that I put on myself, and I would imagine this would go for all artists out there, Lord included, the pressure that I put on myself is way more than any pressure that anybody else could put on me. So, I mean, it's diff different. Obviously, a lot this sort of social media stuff didn't exist when I f was first starting out, I dare say, when I was Lord's age. She's still quite... I know she's been around for a little while now, but she's still quite young, right? She's Absolutely. What would she be like? Mid-20s? Early 20s? Early 20s. Yeah, so she's still very young. I mean, it's not even on my radar anymore. I'm 43 years old. I've been around for a long time, and I just, I just don't care about about that stuff anymore. <laughs> and hopefully, Lord is, you know, she seems like a pretty mature uh, young person, far more so than I was at that age. But um, <laughs> um, because yeah, because it did, you know, when I first started, particularly coming up after the first Jebediah record, I was only, I was 20 years old. When that record came out, um, so when we followed it up, I was yeah probably Lord's age, possibly younger, um, and yeah, it was it was when you've come off a big success on your first record, it's it's a real challenge, you know, it's a real challenge. I mean, it's it's a good challenge. And the younger you are, and the less experienced you are, and the less mature you are, I think probably the more you're likely to listen to outside influences. Mm. Lord's pretty uh, remarkable that when she was 17, she you know she blew up with Royals and her first record, Pure Heroin. And then David Bowie in 2013 um, made a rare public outing to celebrate the 53rd uh, birthday of Tilda Swinton. And Lord was there and David pulled her aside and said, you are the future of music as he caressed her hand. <laughs> <laughs> which is like what a conversely uh, amazing moment that would fill you with absolute invincibility and mm. you know late at night when you're, <laughs> you're having a bit of writer's block you know the other feeling of like oh shit i'm letting david down i'm letting the thin white duke down marcus talk to us about this this lord uh, return well i was gonna say that um it's not just that she's putting out a new record it's that you know she was kind of single-handedly responsible for remaking The Sound of Pop, mm -hmm. right, mm -hmm. with with Pure Heroin. What a funny thing to have on your resume and to follow up. Like, you know, since Pure Heroin came out and the whole minimalist kind of, you know, slightly trap-orientated yep. melancholic pop music. Vocals right to the top. Yeah, and, and not really belting it out so much. It's kind of whispering, like, you know, after that came Billie Eilish and Claro and... Um, you know, oh, yeah, Olivia yeah. Rodriguez and uh, so many people that have kind of like filled up that vacuum. It must, 
you know, I guess the pressure to is putting in a new record out and and not once again remaking pop or setting the zeitgeist like some sort of failure. Like, would that play on your mind or? And why don't you feel this song, Solar Power? I mean, it's a weak title. <laughs> that's, that, that from the get-go, I'm like, ooh, Solar Power, really? But I, I think, like, for me, this is a three to three and a half star song. It's, it still sort of does its job, but it just needs a better drop. A better drop, Mikey Cahill. Um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think she said about the new album, this album is a celebration of the natural world and attempt at immortalizing the deep, transcendent feelings I have when I'm outdoors. So... I guess that sort of signifies a little bit of a enviro. It's Lord Shroom re- Shroom's record. <laughs> yeah, I saw some, I saw I saw someone on Twitter say that you know we've we've all found drugs at some point. Twenty four is a good time to take drugs. You know, you know, you know yourself enough. You, but, you reckon this song's a red herring? Well, I wondered if um, I was watching the video again. Yeah, so basically the the, the song didn't really grab me. I was watching the video and there was a, there was a YouTube comment. I mean, this is this is like a bit of a Reddit deep dive, <laughs> but um, there's a section in the video where she kind of runs across the sand and she runs past this kind of like pile of garbage, mm-hmm. with this suggestion that almost that midsummer thing that people have also been commenting on with the feeling of the video, where it's gives this sort of vibe of uh, tranquility and utopia, but mm-hmm. it's a bit of a red herring. For the oh, dark, yeah. the darkness behind it, I and so I would, I would love to think that that is what she's playing at with this one. But yeah, as a as a track, it it, it didn't grab me. Mm-hmm. Um, Kev, what do you think? To be honest with you, I only just listened to it uh, about five minutes ago. It's all right. First impressions. Look, I loved her first record, like so many other people did. I thought it was just it really um, stood out. Brilliant songwriting and amazing production. And and I kind of she kind of lost me with green light. I kind of thought, oh, she's you know doing something different now. I'm not sure mm-hmm. that I'm here for that. So it's funny how like we keep sort of referencing the first album. It's like you know not wanting to sort of bring Jebs back again, but even when Jebs were putting out our fifth album in 2011, people were still reviewing that record and going, oh gee, they've really grown up since slightly odd way. It was like that was she was in 1997, right? So <laughs> she's all people. No matter what she does. Everyone is always in ten years' time. People are still going to be referencing Pure Heroin and what she's with what she's doing now. So, so it's kind of it is a a, a difficult situation. I, do you know if the same producer Joel Little is he is she still using the same guy? Jack Antonoff is back in the saddle, I believe. Which is okay because uh, it was Joel Little that recorded that, that produced that yeah. first record. Um, you know, not to take anything away from Lord, you know, she's an incredible songwriter and singer, mm. but um, a big part of that first record was also the production was was really really good, uh, and that was why when the second when that first single off the second record that Green Light song came out, I was kind of like, oh, you know, it's different, not for me, and I guess this is kind of doing the same thing, you know. But you know, I kind of dig the fact that you know she's. If she is making a record that is has got a bit of an Enviro kind of edge, and you know, like, sure, that's going to play to her generation of fans big time. And I kind of like the idea that you know that she's not trying to, even though it's not up my alley. I like the idea that if I get the feeling that she's doing exactly whatever the fuck she wants to do, um, mm. and that's exactly what she should be doing, whether people like it or not. That's that that is the uh, in my humble experience that is the road to take. It's a bit, there's a flip side as well, isn't there, of doing like, as I was saying before, with sometimes when you define a sound, it can be a bit of a kind of a anvil around your neck. But oh, totally. Al- yeah. Yes. You can also go, well, fuck, I've clocked that now. I can do, I can do whatever <laughs> I want. Like, freedom, yeah. freedom to forge on. 
Yeah, I mean, it's. I remember um, hearing a podcast with Tex Perkins years ago, uh, and I, I wish I could remember exactly how he put it. Uh, it was really good, but he basically just just was described success as being like a, a prison, you know. Um, <laughs> and wow. you know, and I and I, it is, yeah. It's like you when you have that success. I mean, you kind of, no matter what you do afterwards, you're gonna. There's no real way out of it to, you know, because like if you sort of repeat what you did first time round, it's never going to be the same. People are never going to be able to hear it the same. Even if the songs and the music is just as good, people's listening experience is going to be different because they're not getting, it's not that first time. It's never going to have that same um, effect on people's ears. But, you know, you do something different and people will um, will mourn the loss of the old sound as well. So, you know, that's why... It's really, really important that you just do whatever the hell you want because as soon as you fall into that trap of trying to please the people that are listening to you, oh man, I I, I just think that's <laughs> that's a real slippery slope, you know. Totally. Two things on that. Uh, Tex did very well then when he picked up the Johnny Cash Man in Black uh, t- shows and you know that, that whole tour. He's now done. I think. Uh, God, when I was working at the Herald Sun a few years ago, it was his hundredth show as uh, as Johnny Cash. The success of the Johnny Cash show for Tex Perkins has been a literal Folsom prison for him. Yeah, <laughs> 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 terrific. Uh, we just, peaked. we just peaked. The second thing I was going to say is, um, you have a similar trajectory in a way to Lord Kevin in that you uh you, d- you chose to do the acoustic guitar or something instead of a bit more, bit more plaintive, and I guess soulful and you know deep. Uh, and Marcus and I were discussing about, you know, is this Lord's way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm getting becoming more of a serious artist now. I'm using the acoustic guitar. This is who I am. It's all stripped back. These are my feelings. They're always about her feelings, but, you know, it, it does represent, it's a real signifier, isn't it? Like, why did you choose to say, here I am, I'm Bob Evans now, not Kevin Mitchell? Well, I mean, for starters, I think that um, I don't see that with Lord at all. I mean, I think that first record was already taken very seriously as being a super smart pop record um so i don't think that's you know it's it's just an aesthetic choice you know at the start of the song once the song kicks in it's pretty much you know i wouldn't call it an acoustic song anyway they've just made that aesthetic choice to start it with an acoustic guitar instead of a you know a lone drum beat and a bass thing you know so that all that minimalist stuff like um, marcus was saying before but um, for me, um, doing the Bob Evans thing, you know, the way that I've always described it to people is that my experience of it is different to the way it was perceived in that when I started doing Bob Evans records after doing a bunch of Jeb R albums, it was look, it was perceived as being this sort of change in direction. Whereas for me, it was far more about going back to what I was doing before Jeb I started. I mean, from the age of, 12 when I picked up a guitar and started writing songs to the age of 17 when Jebediah started for those five years up until before Jebediah started I was writing acoustic songs you know in my bedroom at mum and dad's place and um you know and I was kind of listening to you know daggy records from the 60s and 70s and um and you know at 17 obviously you know I wanted to be in a rock and roll band because I was 17 years old and I was listening to Triple J and I was in love with Nirvana and UMI. And, um, so I made a fucking rock band because that's what you do. And it took off. And so we just kind of kept following that, you know. But 
But for me, yeah, doing Bob Evans, it was kind of like I've been doing Jebediah for a while. I was still writing these, you know, these acoustic songs in my bedroom, although I wasn't living with mum and dad anymore. Um, and and so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of scratch that itch that has, had been there since the beginning. And so, so, but yeah, for other people from the outside looking in they, that didn't know or hadn't been exposed to that pre-Jebediah history, it seemed like a very different kind of move, you know? I'm I'm going to float a theory, a pop, a pop, uh, matriarch, hierarchical, uh, global superstar theory. Theoretical is that a word? Yeah. All right. Um, Taylor Swift came out with Folklore in early 2020, and it was a, it was a acoustic album that she made with the dudes from the National, and uh, I think Bonnie Vare was in there. Um, yeah. Poster boy for acoustic guitar in in the woods, um, and at the time, it's a lot of the sort of like context around it and the chat around it was that she was growing up, and this figurehead who had been sort of leading the way in pop for the the years previous, had was maybe sort of taking a step back and acquiescing to the new guard of of your lords and your Billie Eilish and all that sort of stuff, um, and then not long after. Billie Eilish comes out with Your Power, uh, a very subtle, sparse acoustic track. Lord comes out with Solar Power, an acoustic track. Is is Taylor has, has Taylor Swift wrested back the mantle of, uh, <laughs> of 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 leading the charge for for basically like the sound of pop music in in 2021? It ties into what you were saying, Kevin, about. Almost like that that acoustic sort of like the signifier of getting back to roots and like getting saying something a bit serious now. It's it's an avenue that a lot of artists take. Yeah, you could definitely look at it that way. I mean, with Taylor Swift, I mean, you know, she started out as a kid playing country music, and there was obviously a, a fairly strong kind of rootsy flavour to to that. And then as she went on, every record just was started getting more and more pop until. The last thing that she did, I can't remember the name of the record. I've heard all of them because I've got teen- I've got daughters, um, <laughs> not teenage daughters. I was about to say, but they will be one day. But anyway, um, and then so before she did these two sort of records since lockdown or whatever, um, the last big record she had before that was she taken pop the pop thing uh, to the cliff, right? She taken it right to the edge. She gone as far into that world as she possibly could. Both feet, you know, because at first she kind of straddled it, and then she was all in. So it's like, well, where? She, of course, she was gonna change direction after that. She couldn't go any further. She'd milked and squeezed every ounce of pop juice out of out of what she was doing. So she had to do something different. So. um from a creative and artistic kind of point of view, looking at that, I think, well, yeah, like that's probably exactly what I would do as well. You know, after going that far in that direction, you've got to change. And, and I think it also really suited the, um, you know, the times of the, you know, what the world was going through too. You know, I think there was something very kind of comforting, I guess, about Taylor Swift coming out with this sort of folky acoustic record while everybody was stuck in their houses. And um, it kind of really kind of hit that, a bit of a zeitgeist as well but um but yeah i but i also think it too much can be read into that you know a lot of the times these are just kind of aesthetic choices that we make as artists you know i think the the inst- we can read too much into 
to that kind of stuff of what instruments we're using. I mean, it's just it's just an aesthetic thing a lot of the time, you know. It's nothing more. Swift retribution. <laughs> Sorry, I just came out of my mouth. Next up, my friends, we have a discussion of T-Pain, authenticity, and uh, Courtney, our producer, can you please auto-tune my voice when I say, auto-tune. Netflix has a new eight-part series called This Is Pop coming up, which aims to tackle the, the definition of what is pop. Um, it features interviews with ABBA, Shania Twain, Chuck D., Orville Peck, Backstreet Boys, and Blur, all sort of littered throughout the, the last few decades of pop music history. Anybody else involved? There's also someone called T-Pain, American rapper, very famous for basically popularizing auto-tune on tracks. Real name, Fahim Rashid. Name. He's interviewed in it, and there's this great clip of him telling a little story about going to the, the BET Awards in 2013. BET is the Black Entertainment Television Awards. Uh, he's on a plane, as you are, not on a boat, on the way to the BET Awards. And Usher, um, pop maverick, maybe that's too strong a word, pop doyen. Pop doyen, yeah, I'll go for that. He's on there. Usher asks him back for a little chat, and T-Pain goes back going, what's up? And Usher says, you really fucked up music. Big call. Mm. Especially if you've just woken up. You got woken up. and Woken up by the flight attendant. Yeah, taken to the other end, hoping that it's a, you're about to join the Mile High Club. Yeah. No, instead. Uh, Usher says, you really fucked up music for real singers. And uh, the, it sent T-Pain into a depression for four years. It's a long depression. Is, is what he says mm-hmm. in a little mm-hmm. clip. But I thought that was really interesting because it begs a, a couple of questions. Number one, did T-Pain fuck up music? Mm-hmm. It's possible. Often you can be a bit of a a bit of a, a maverick, or to to retract that from Usher and put it onto T Pain, as someone who pioneers using what is sort of like a bit of a gimmick in your in your music that goes on to become pretty much essential in pop music, which it still is. Mm. But then be the whipping boy for that same that same decision. Like obviously after after that Kanye made 808s and Heartbreak, which T-Pain was a, in the background helping him. Bonnie there went on to use auto-tune to great success. Like everyone uses it now. And Cher originally did it with Believe. Believe. Massive right. hit, which we all sort of got on our tits, but we also liked the song as well. That's right. I don't know. It's interesting also, especially a rapper talking about depression mm-hmm. and the dark side of mm-hmm. being the boats and the crystal and, and uh, to reference a, to a lord track yes kevin have you ever come into contact with autotune in, in in your world of course absolutely ever since it ever since it existed it's been in studios and i mean the t-pain thing i mean for starters i think that's if if that's really what happened uh in terms of usher waking him up on a plane telling him he fucked up music and t-pain you know obviously a sensitive dude that's really that's really sad that that it's mean as well it's really mean yeah it's a really really <laughs> shitty thing to say and four years of depression like if that's if that's what caused that then that's awful also too like i mean usher like isn't didn't usher like pretty much give us justin bieber like, <laughs> yeah. i think I, I don't i don't think anybody's in a, in a position let alone, let, let alone usher to um be telling anybody that they fucked up music Auto-tune has, yeah, been around since, when did when did I first start coming? To, probably, it's probably been around for about 20 years. It was right at the start of 2000, maybe, was the first time where it started to appear 
on these, uh, you know, the very basic early music software that was coming into studios by that stage. And, and yeah, I reckon I've probably used uh, a little bit of auto-tune to... Do tell. Probably pretty much every single record I've made since 2000 has probably had little right bits of little bits of adjust. Yeah, if something's just slightly out of tune, um, it, you always have to kind of make a... But the thing is, the, the thing is though, that like, that te- I think that technology was created in order for, you know, to help singers sound more in tune and nobody would ever notice, right? Nobody mm-hmm. would ever know you were using it. But then, you know, artists started using it as an effect and particularly in that sort of rap world and obviously Cher, you know, that was, she wasn't the first art person to use auto-tune in pop music. She was just the first person to have a hit using it as an effect where it was yes. really, really noticeable to everybody listening. And, mm. and then that became a thing. Yeah, and Kanye West used it heaps and loads of people were using it and it did become a and become a real staple uh, sound. And I kind of think that's cool, you know. And, and in a way, it's it's kind of a little bit like, you know, remember the old vocoder on vocals? Yeah. You know, that's pretty much a similar thing in the fact that it, it's a, you're synthesizing a voice and in the case of the vocoder, you're, you're sort of it's getting one voice and uh, putting it in across the spectrum of an octave so that it appears lots of different times in harmony with each other and all that kind of stuff. Um so just sort of synthesized versions of a natural voice. So it's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. People have been using it for a while. So yeah, I think that sort of artistic kind of use of it, turning something that was created for one thing and turning it into something else is, is how kind of innovation happens. You know, it's a really cool, it's a really cool thing. The fact that Bonnever used it to great acclaim and everything, uh, you know, is that what's going on there? Like, is it like, is there is there some sort of like weird kind of indie privilege going on there where like you know how sometimes you know sometimes when people can find themselves just in at a point in their kind of artistic lives where anything they do people just kind of go oh it's genius you know like you just get that automatic genius card not well it's never happened to me but um I reckon I reckon sometimes artists just find themselves in that real sweet spot where pretty much anything. <laughs> Anything they do, people will be like, oh, it's amazing, it's amazing, you know? Whereas, like, if it was somebody else, they would probably be treated very differently. It's remarkable how it can, you know, some would just get anointed. Let's say, Yesaya, when they came back with quite an adventurous record, Pitchfork just went, no. And the others went, just, people just went, no. And Yesaya were the yeah. hot shit. Like, they had that MGMT and Yesaya, they both yeah. were, like, the hot shit. I love shit. that. Yeah. And it's a great record, too. It's just, their, their whole concept was... Every song will end completely different to how it started. Like we'll end up in a sort of whole different territory. Uh, but yeah, they sort of go, they're scratching their head. Remember them coming off stage? They were like, they could feel how the crowd had turned on their on their new stuff as a piece, as opposed yeah. to be turning on turned on by their new stuff. Just fucking yeah. hard, man. Like very very hard. Hannibal Buress on his new Miami Nights, if you've seen it, is an unreal uh, stand up special. He talks about auto tune. Like, he goes, you guys, you think you don't like auto tune, and then he goes, and then you start using it, and he just he just keeps. <laughs> it's once people get in the studio with auto tune, they realize it's very hard not to use on a lot of things. Well, it's also that that indie privilege thing you mentioned, Kevin. Famously, the Lonely Island used T Pain in their skit for yeah. "I'm on a Boat" using auto tune, uh, and, and and that went on to basically be arguably one of the, I mean, definitely one of the biggest songs of that era that used 
auto-tune as well as T-Bain, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it won Grammys. And there's a quote from T-Pain saying how it was kind of weird how the guys that, uh, even though he was on it, the guys sort of lampooning it were rewarded for, for their take on it, but not the guy who sort of kicked it off. Hmm. It's interesting. And it's, it's almost also like that thing of, you know, when Dylan went electric, when Skrillex, <laughs> start, start, when Skrillex started doing big drops and all that sort of stuff, like these people that use, that become synonymous with a moment in, in music that also goes out of fashion. And they, and they get stuck with it while the other people who kind of get to riff on it get to be the progressives. We're going to go from a lampoon to harpoon. Bob Evans, we're going to be chatting to you in just a second. Sir, friends, send a tip or story suggestion to podcast at mushroomgroup.com or check the episode description for more ways to get in contact with us. There's even a Facebook page, which, you know, get on. You don't spend enough time on Facebook. I think we all agree on that. Bob Evans is here with us today, weighing in on all the topical stuff. What else happened this week? Dave Chappelle got on stage and sang Creep with Radiohead kind of badly, but it was Dave Chappelle, so it was still amazing. And Dennis Hanlon was sacked from uh, his position at Sony. His son has now also been let go. A lot of rumblings happening at, happening at Sony. What else is happening? A young man called Kevin Mitchell pivoted into being Bob Evans quite a few years ago, and he has put out a new record. He's putting out a new record called Tomorrowland with a song called Concrete Heart as the lead single. Very lush album. I'm getting some War and Drugs feels. I'm even getting some John Bon Jovi feels. Nothing wrong with that. Tell us, Bob, about your muse and deciding and just, you know, how this sort of the kernel of the idea for the record and how it all formed. Well, I guess the kernel of the record started, I suppose, soon after my last studio record, which is came out in 2016 so yeah i think around 2017 i was writing songs that were kind of veering in a particular direction similarly to what i was talking about before when we were talking about taylor swift i mean every solo record that i've made for the last 10 years has um has been a a direct reaction to the one before it so car boot sale came out in 2016 and that was a direct reaction to Familiar Stranger, which was more Familiar Stranger, was kind of getting away from the kind of acoustic-y, folky thing. Carboot Sale was all about return, trying to you know return back to that and and try and sort of re, not recreate, but kind of go back to the suburban kind of Nashville records that I made in the two thousands. Then after I did that, I was like, okay, I've done that. I I want to kind of make a, a more of a kind of rock album. You know, I was listening to a lot of kind of 80s kind of classic rock, Springsteen and Tom Petty and stuff like that. Um, and I was also kind of getting into 80s, late 80s kind of, um, you know, jangle guitar pop. Well, actually, you know, I've been into that stuff for ages. I've just never, I've just never kind of expressed it musically before. So it's things like the Smiths and the Cure and that, that sort of late 80s, early 90s kind of chorusy electric guitar thing. Um, so yeah, I, and I was kind of writing songs in that kind of vein for a couple of years before I felt like I started to write some half decent ones. And, um, and yeah, it was just, I wanted to set myself that challenge of like, well, how can I kind of take some of these influences that I've never, that I've never expressed or recorded before and kind of put them through my own kind of little meat mincing machine and, and, and make, make them sound like me. And also too, I wanted to, make a record live 
with a band in a room, which I'd never done before in all these years of making records. Every record, particularly the Bob records, have always been very carefully crafted. One, you know, you do all, you do the drums for one song, then you do the drums for another song, and keep going. Then you do the bass, and you, do, and there's just very heavily crafted albums um, that are all recorded just tiny bit by bit. I wanted to make a record in a bit more of an old-fashioned kind of way of just like getting my touring band in a room, so five of us all literally standing in a room with our stuff set up, hitting record and going for it and just tracking all of the band stuff together, which is what we did. Those were the kind of goals, I suppose, for the record. And what was exciting about that, you know, for me was that, you know, I felt like I was pushing myself. This is the thing, like when you've made a lot of records and you've been around for a while, you know, you you don't, I'm kind of done with just putting out records every two or three years just because it's my job like i have to i had there has to be a bigger reason to put out a record now you know i have to be doing something that i haven't done before i have to be doing something that's really exciting for me and i have to have something to say once i've kind of feel like i've kind of ticked all those boxes then yeah a record is ready and so that's what yeah basically where tomorrowland comes from and i fucking i really really like it you know it's Sometimes after a year of, after years of writing for a record and then making it, kind of don't really enjoy listening to it. Um, but this record, you know, I finished making it at the start of 2020. It took a year, over a year to come out because of COVID. So it's 18 months later since recording and I still really, when it, you know, when I hear it, I still really enjoy it. That's good. That's super important, isn't it? If you're going to, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think part of that is because, I recorded with a live band, so like obviously I wrote parts, but not everything. And so when you when you bring you know a whole bunch of people into a room to to record a song, everybody's bringing in their own stuff, and it's stuff that I didn't demo and stuff that I didn't write. So I guess it just makes it fresher, and it means that when I listen to it after all this time, I'm still hearing things that I didn't do. You know, <laughs> hearing this stuff that other people did, and that's what makes it. I, I think that's what gives it longevity for me, you know. It sounds a bit silly, I suppose, but it's also a document of that little that little moment in time, isn't it? So it's like you exactly. get exactly. Ac- it's like you get to access that each time you listen to it. Exactly, yeah, that's a huge thing. You know, we 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 recorded an album in twelve days. I've never recorded an album that quickly before. All the band stuff was done in six days, um, so we worked fast. Um, so we didn't, I didn't, we didn't sort of give ourselves time to kind of overthink anything, and um, I think that all has a big effect too, and. And yeah, absolutely. It's like it was, it kind of you know intentionally wanted it to sound like okay, yeah. This this is just a, a yeah, do, like exactly as you said, a, a document of a moment in time. And, and you know that's why all the aesthetics around the album, you know, I I made everything all black and white and everything. So you know, so it didn't, so it didn't kind of allude to something that, um, it could have happened like thirty years ago, or it could happen last week. You know. There's just this little, this little nugget of, yeah, this little time capsule. Mm. Mm. Twenty-four years ago, my brother had an amazing Mondegreen, uh, Kevin. He'd written uh, "Bang Bang Ho" on a cassette, and next to Je- <laughs> Jebediah, and I was like, "What's what's Bang Bang Ho?" And he goes, "You know that song by Jebediah, Bang Bang Ho." Which of course is leaving home. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, sure. Did he? Did he not for a moment kind of think, oh, "Bang <laughs> Bang Ho"? Rippers. Like. What does that mean? Why was, was your T-Paint song? song bang, 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 ho. 
<laughs> and then you, it's pretty cool that on the same record you had a harpoon, which sort of uh, foretold some of the stuff you'd come out with. You know, harpoon is one of those moments where everyone goes, wow, Jebediah has a, has a lot of range. Right up to now when you've written Excuses, which is made in the wake of the hashtag Me Too movement. Tell us a bit about that. You know, sometimes I always write music and and then sometimes lyrics take ages and I don't always know the reason why I attach a certain lyric to a certain song. Um, uh, sometimes I have music for ages and I just can't, just nothing comes. Uh, years later, I'll, you know, I'll suddenly hit upon an, a lyrical idea and then, all, and then that's what the song's about. But um, so I'm not sure why the lyrics to that, to excuses are paired to that that music but obviously that was just what i was feeling that day but but yeah i mean i i, I guess i wrote that song sort of in the aftermath of the, when that me too stuff was first starting to happen coming out of america and the harvey weinstein stuff and you know it was causing everybody to um who was engaging in it to really think about their behavior particularly you know men i think it was a, a really good and much needed and long overdue opportunity for men all men to kind of do a bit of reflecting thinking about, you know, their own past behavior, the behavior of the people around them. I think pretty much everyone could kind of look back on their past and uh, even if they have never been guilty themselves of um, of uh, of abuse or, or anything like that, we can all kind of look back on our past and think of times where we've seen thing bad behavior and we haven't said anything or we've made excuses for our friends, you know, oh, you know... Uh, he doesn't mean it, you know. So, yeah, so I think that just made us all kind of reflect on that stuff and have a think and maybe adjust adjust our thinking about that and reframe some of that stuff and kind of go, oh, no, you know, that's, that's, that wasn't, that wasn't, that's not the right, yeah, it's not, not the right way to behave. It's not the, and, and we're all kind of, in, it kind of makes you question how implicit you are in things, you know, by being around it. Um, so, yeah, I guess... I guess I wanted to kind of write a song that sort of addressed, uh, you know, addressed my feelings around that sort of stuff, you know, because I was thinking about it a lot. And it's quite, com- you know, it's conf- it is quite confusing and complicated, you know. It's a really complex kind of social issue. Um, and it's also, it's difficult, you know. Um, but but um, but it's one of those things, you know, like, like racism and, you know, sexism, you know, these are things they are really, really uncomfortable and we do all have to kind of look inwards to ourselves and our past behaviours and, you know, if we want things to change and if we want to be a good ally, we have to kind of do do that work, you know, and it's kind of messy. So, yeah, look, those were all the kind of things that were kind of buzzing around my head, I guess, when I was writing that song. Excellent. Thank you for your honesty, sir. We want to stick around and do a bonus hit different episode with us. Yeah, absolutely. Sick. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Marcus Teague, my co-host. Kevin Mitchell, you absolute G from OG. Mikey Carl here with you. We'll see you next week on Hit Different. Yeah.